Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, hey, y'all, welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, especially if you are a guest. We're honored that you are here today. And to the 90% of our church family watching online from the beaches of Florida on fall break, we love you, we miss you, wear your sunscreen, watch out for sharks and rip currents, and please don't post pictures on Facebook of your experience. Reminding us of where you are and where we are, that would not be Christ-like. But, uh, so God has called this church not to be a country club for the righteous, but a hospital for the broken and the weak and the weary, and that's all of us. And so I just want to remind us of why we are here. We are here not to primarily or at all point fingers at the world, but to love and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus to people all around us that are hurting. And so together, let's be a beacon of hope. Let's be a lighthouse in a world going crazy. Let's be a lighthouse in a community where people are struggling and hurting and To do that, it takes resources. You guys know me. I don't like talking about money, um, but it takes resources to do it. And so if you call Pleasant Valley your church home, we have an opportunity to partner with Jesus so that we as a church can, can represent Christ well and love and serve this city. One of mine and Annie's greatest joys is to financially invest in what God is doing. And so if this is your church home, if you're a guest, we're not asking you to do that, but if this is your church home, we invite you to partner with us on that journey. Jesus gave everything for us, and he invites us to give a small portion of what we have back to him and for his kingdom and glory. Well, before we jump into the message today, I, I just want us to pray about a few things. Um, first, right now, there are a unique number of marriages in our congregation that are under attack. The enemy, Jesus said, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things he loves to steal, kill, and destroy is the family. And, and, and you can take out a whole family if you can get to mom and dad. And so in my 17 years as a pastor here, I don't think at any point in time there's been more marriages under attack at the same time than they are right now. And so there's all kinds of factors with that, but I think the main impetus is spiritual warfare. And so what we want to do as a church is go to war and prayer for one another. And at Pleasant Valley, we want to create a culture of vulnerability and transparency where if your marriage is struggling or if things at home are on the rocks, you don't have to do that alone. Please talk to us. 
none of the pastors in this church are going to say that we have perfect marriages. We can relate. We need one another. So please don't do this by yourself. Reach out. Reach out in community. Let us walk with you and serve you. And it's also in God's providence that coming up in less than a month on Saturday, November 4th is our Ignite event, which it's an all day right here in this room led by Pastor Brad and Marilyn. Uh, It's a marriage enrichment event. Annie and I will be here and I want to encourage every married couple in the room, whether you're doing terrible or amazing, to commit to that day. It's an investment in your marriage, and our kids and grandkids, mom and dad, are watching the way we do marriage, and we are giving for them an example and a model. Let's model that well. Hey, mom and dad are going to take a half day on Saturday and invest in their marriage because that's how much it means to us and to Jesus, and so I want to commend you to sign up for that, and you can do that in your program and see how to do so. Again, that's Saturday, November 4th. There's child care ages 11 and under. It's for everybody, not just this church, people from all over. Doesn't matter if you go to church at all, you're welcome to come to that, okay? And so we're gonna pray for marriages, but then the other thing I want us to do, if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world, you know there's war happening right now in Israel, and um, there are just really terrible things happening to men and women and young children that are just demonic and awful. And so we want to pray God's protection over those in the midst of war, in particular in Israel. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. And so whatever your theology or eschatology is about Israel and its role in the world, um, they are men and women created in the image of God. And I do believe God still has a unique, special place in his heart for those particular ethnic people. And so we want to pray for them this morning and what's happening there. So would you bow with me? So we're praying for two things. We're praying for marriages And we're praying for peace in the world and God's grace and protection over what's happening in the Middle East. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name with heavy hearts. God, under the sound of my voice, there are people that are hurting. Father, there are husbands and wives that are barely holding on. God, some of them feel alone. Some of them feel afraid. Or some of them feel stuck. Some of them feel helpless. Some of them feel hopeless. But Father, if you can raise your son from the dead, if you can create the world in six days, God, there is no marriage that is too far gone for you. So God, I pray in your grace that you would bring peace and healing to those that are suffering right now. And Lord, I pray for reconciliation and restoration and healing. And Lord, for those that are just about ready to throw in the towel, I pray that your spirit would prompt them to say, God, we will try again. And Father, we pray as well for what's happening in the Middle East this morning, for those that are under attack, for those bombs that are dropping, and Lord, in particular, for those women and children who are being kidnapped out of their own homes. Terrible things happening. Father, be merciful. Your word tells us to pray for peace in Jerusalem. And so, Lord, we do that 
and we pray for protection. Lord, we pray for peace, but we pray most of all that in the midst of this strife and war and bloodshed, that Jesus Christ, you, the one true Messiah, would make yourself known. And that, Father, for all of our Jewish friends who, Jesus, to whom you came first, and yet so many have rejected you as Messiah, that, God, you would reveal yourself to them, that they would bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. So, God, may the gospel go forward through this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, life is an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? Uh, last Saturday, a group of us went to Lexington to watch the cats absolutely manhandle the Florida Gators. Although we won't talk about what happened in Georgia last night. This is, let's just go back to last Saturday and enjoy that for a minute. Uh, so for many of us, I think like 50 of us went from the church or something like that. And we're tailgating and there's football and cornholes and brats and buffalo chicken and cherry coke and good friends and a big, it was just a perfect day, right? And uh, so Kentucky wins and we tailgate a few more hours after the game. And then uh, myself and my two boys and uh, three of our friends, the Millers, we load up and, and we're driving home. So we're on the Western Kentucky Parkway. Uh, just outside Litchfield there in Grayson County. And I don't know exactly what happened. I think I dozed off. And next thing you know, I hear my 12-year-old Cruz, many of you know him, he's the banjo player, uh, Cruz screams. And, uh, we're, and just like that, we're plowing through a construction site, those orange barrels. And, uh, of course, I lose control, I, I overcorrect which is the last thing you're supposed to do, but in the moment, it's hard not to. And so I overcorrect, and so we're at 79 miles an hour, and uh, we roll and flip our way through the median into oncoming traffic before slamming into a guardrail. And so we're bruised, burned, pulling glass out of our bodies. Some are bleeding. Some had concussions. My Otis was hospitalized. The car is totaled, of course. But by the grace of God, airbags and angels, we walked away. And if you don't believe in miracles, if you would have been on the parkway and witnessed that accident, you would be a believer in miracles. But I've had four near-death experiences in my life. Some of you have had those as well. But the same thing happens to me every time. Three of them were car wrecks. One of them was almost drowning in the Atlantic Ocean in a rip current. But in those few seconds, as the car is flying out of control, you know, through the median into oncoming traffic, even when you're, you know, flipping at 80 miles an hour and airbags and glass are exploding, still in the midst of that chaos, time stands still. And it's amazing what our brains have the capacity to. You can, you can relive your whole life in two seconds. And you see it all there. I think God has a way of doing that. So in those few seconds, your whole life flashes before your eyes. And I vividly remember, in particular, once we hit the, the medium, like, all right, this is, this is, this is going to go south really quickly. Um, I remember talking to God, uh, not out loud, but in my heart. And I, and I prayed. I said, God, I'm 40 years old. And I've got my boys with me, our friends. And this is how it's going to end, huh? 
And I just remember a real frank conversation with God, like, huh, God, I really thought you had more planned for us than this. I, I never would have guessed this is how it would go down. And all in that moment, I saw the funeral. I saw my wife and my daughter standing there over our caskets. I saw my mom there. I saw you all, our church family there. And I just remember being shocked that this is how our story is going to end. What an anticlimactic way to end the story of life. But this is the lesson God taught me last Saturday night. I should not have been shocked if that's how our story ended. Because the Bible tells us life is a vapor. And nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. And who am I that it would be any different for me? Why would I be granted some special privilege to live a long, healthy life and die in my 90s? Well, today we're supposed to be in week two of our sermon series of Judges. Um, already wrote that sermon. I'll hit pause. We'll do that next week. We'll be back to Judges. But I just felt like the Lord was saying today, I need to talk about the fact that life is short. Every single one of us in this room are going to die. And we're going to die relatively soon, actually. Are you ready to die? Some of us in this room are one car wreck away from a lot of regret. Some of us in this room are one car wreck away from an eternity without Jesus. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. So if you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's words. Look at a couple of verses today. It's the first verse that went through my mind in our accident, and it's the verses I wanted to share with you today. The Bible says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. Some translations say you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Father, as we look now to your word, help us to humble ourselves under your word. And God, teach us that life is a vapor and teach us to stop wasting our time on petty, silly things. And to live each day as though it's our last because it could be. And for some of us, it may be. So Lord Jesus, humble us under your great sovereign power and teach us, as the psalmist said, to number our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. God says in his word, your life is a mist. 
the Apostle James is writing to Jewish Christians living in Palestine. It was a very dry climate there, so there would be little water droplets that would temporarily form in the air from the condensation near the sea, and then they would immediately uh, disappear in the hot, dry heat. Here one second and gone in the next. And God says that's what life is like. Life is like a little mist that's here for a split second and then it's gone. It's hard to imagine. Thanksgiving is just a handful of weeks away. It's crazy, isn't it? So you guys know I lost my dad a number of years ago, but our tradition was we watched planes, trains, and automobiles every Thanksgiving. And we laughed just as hard each time as we did the year before. John Candy, God rest his soul, and Steve Martin, uh, who's also a bluegrass musician, by the way, but uh, great movie. But so in honor of planes, trains, and automobiles. This is an illustration uh, God showed me one time. The moment you are born, your train leaves the station. Okay, so your life is the train. You're born, your train leaves the station, and then the brakes go out. That's what life is like. Every day we live, the train of our life only accelerates. And every year and every decade we live, the train only goes faster and faster. And we have no power or ability to slow it down. Isn't it true, those of us, as we get older, don't you say, man, that year went faster than the year before? Doesn't time only speed up? Life, by definition, is a blistering race towards death. You're born, you blink, and you die. Verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So I think the 30,000-foot teaching of James chapter 4 is there is only one certainty in our life, and that is God. Everything else in our life is sinking sand. All of it. Everything else in our life is vulnerable. Everything else is temporary. Everything in our life except God, you blink and it's gone. Our families, our money, our homes, our careers, our bodies, our intellect, our minds, our life, it's all sinking sand. Everything is leaving us. Everything. You can take nothing to the bank except God and Christ. And so James wants to help us see this. What is your life? I'm just going to read this verse a thousand times, and hopefully by God's grace it'll sink into our hearts. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will 
live and do this and that. So what James is doing is he's comparing and contrasting us to God. God's big, we're small. God's infinite, we're finite. Our will is temporary and fading and fleeting. God's will alone is eternal and can't be changed. So that's the emphasis in the teaching in verse 15. The emphasis is on God's will and God's sovereignty over our lives. The goal of James 4 is to humble us and show us we're not actually in control of anything. I'm a control freak. A lot of you are too. I have to micromanage my life, and God will strip that away from you at 80 miles an hour on the Western Kentucky Parkway. You are in control of nothing, including our next breath. The Bible teaches from beginning to end that our life only exists and functions to the extent that God wills it. So we can't allow our minds to be deceived into thinking that our plans for our life and our will for our lives will ultimately come to pass. But we must humbly embrace the fact that God's will is the only will that is unmovably set in stone. Everything else is sinking sand. When I am weary in my soul, I go to Isaiah a lot. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, in particular Isaiah 40, Isaiah 46, because they paint the picture of this big, sovereign God. So in Isaiah 46, verse 3, for example, look at what the Bible says. God says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me, God says from before your birth and carried from the womb. God says, I was putting your life together even before you were born. So in our pro-life ethic, we often say life begins at conception in the womb, and it does physiologically, but life actually begins in God's mind way before the womb. It's even more reason to be radically pro-life. Before your birth, God knows your name. And then he carries you from the womb. God says the OB didn't take us out of the womb. God did that. And then in verse 4, he says, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. You see this picture? God gives us this picture of the father. You know, imagine the doctor taking the newborn and holding it and they clean the baby and they hand it back to mom. Well, God says, I'm the one carrying you from the womb. But then he doesn't put us down. He carries us into our teen years. 
God carries us into our 20s. God carries us into our 30s. God carries us into our 40s and 50s. And if we make it to 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, it's only because God carries us. And so God says in verse four, I have made, I will bear. Notice the main character in the story is God. We're the recipients of mercy. We're not in the driver's seat. We're in the trunk. God's driving our lives. He's carrying our lives. I will carry. I will save. So in verse five, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? We're such a man, human-centered society. We want to be the captains of our own destiny. It's all about me and I and us and my life, my choice. God says, I'm the reason you live. I'm the reason you breathe. God says, you didn't choose life. I chose to give you life. God says, if you wake up tomorrow, it's only because I wake you up. But not only does God and God alone give us life, but God has designed a careful blueprint for our lives. Psalm 139, another one of my favorite passages. Look at what the text says in verse 13, speaking to God. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I saw that verse for the first time when I was like a middle schooler and I was having anxiety about uh, school and life, as many teens do. And I found that verse and it really helped me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That'd be a good one to memorize. When you feel like your life is spiraling out of control, when you're like, God, I don't even know if you're here. Because the Bible says there is a book in heaven with our name and picture on it. And it's the story of our life. And the Bible does not say God is writing that story, waiting to see what's going to happen next. The Bible says the story has already been written. And it's in a book on a shelf in heaven's library. And it's your story and it's my story. So from God's vantage point, there are no uncertainties in your life. From heaven's perspective and angle, there are no variables or potential surprises. Now this is mind-blowing, so let's go there from, this will hurt your brain if you allow it. God is outside of time, the Bible teaches this is why he's able to say things like it with me. A day is a thousand years and a thousand years. God's never been in a hurry. God's never looked at a clock or a watch because he's outside of time. So God is currently looking back on things that have not yet happened in your life. Let me say it another way. 
Your future is past history to God. Which means you need not fear because whatever's going to happen tomorrow, God's already there. And he will meet you there when you arrive. And his grace will be sufficient tomorrow. And then in verse 10, Isaiah 46, God says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Notice how God does not speak with timidity or uncertainty. God speaks with flawless, impeccable surety. God never wavers. He says, I will accomplish all my purposes. And, and then in verse 11, he gets into the details. He says, calling a bird of prey from the east. It's, it's as though God thinks of the smallest, most insignificant, minute little creature, a little hummingbird, flaps his swing 55 times a second, and God's like, even that little hummingbird's part of my plan, and Jesus comes along and Matthew says, not even a bird falls from the sky apart from my sovereign will. Jesus says, I've numbered the hairs on your head. So on one hand, God rules and reigns over Hamas and Hezbollah and Israel and Russia and Ukraine. But at the same time, the little bird outside your kitchen windows, God's right there with that little booger too. And everything in between so Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, look, if my eye is on the sparrow, don't you think I won't take my eye off you too? Because you're of so much more value than the birds. And no offense to the birds, but you're so much greater than them. So child of God, the teaching is don't be anxious about tomorrow. As the old song says, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow and he will meet you there. And because of the sovereignty of God over all things, the Bible teaches that no sickness or death or trial or tragedy or demon or the devil himself can touch you or your kids or grandkids or family apart from the sovereign allowance of God. We may go through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will not do it alone. Few things should comfort us more than to know that when we close our eyes and sleep tonight, God's eyes will remain open. So first and foremost, I think James 4 is God's desire to humble us under his sovereign hand to remind us we're human, we're finite, we're temporary. You live, you blink, you die. But, but here's how I want to conclude our time is also in James 4, God is nudging our souls. I think God wants his children to be uncomfortable a good bit of the time. 
in that he will rattle our emotions with the reality of how short and fragile life really is. Verse 13, come now, you who say. That's a subtle form of rebuke. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's a rebuke. God's rebuking us because he knows that rooted in many of us is pride and the deceptive illusion of invincibility. Now, let me try to say that more simply. Uh, I get wordy sometimes. We plan and strategize and talk and think and spend money and make investments as though we're going to live forever. God says in James 4, stop doing that. We see people pass away around us all the time. But we assume it won't happen to us, at least anytime soon. And that's the mentality God is challenging. A biblical worldview says the next funeral I attend could very well be my own. And you got to live life knowing that. That won't lead you to morbidity or depression, but to hope and purpose and passion. If you know that God's numbered your days. So in verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time. Underline that phrase, little time, and then vanishes. We only have a little time to live. You know, sometimes, maybe you're this way too. I, you know, we all go through seasons where like, all right, I want to get in shape, you know? After COVID, you know, we all probably got out of shape or whatever. Like, all right, I'm going to get back in shape. So I, I did some of that in the past year or so, I guess, and started trying to work out a little more and trying to eat healthier. And I eat like now a third of the green stuff Annie puts on my plate. I still throw the rest of it out to the dogs and stuff. But um, it's not a real healthy eater. It's hard for me. My mom mails me vitamins and supplements still. I'm 40, and she still does that. And I, I take some of them. She'll call me at 6 p.m. Honey, don't drink caffeine after 6. You won't sleep well, you know. I'm like, all right, Mom. And then, you know, I've, I'm drinking more water and less sugar, less cherry Coke. I've all but cut out my moon pies. So I can stop bringing those for a while. I got like 50 boxes of them in the office. I'm trying to get rid of them. But uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself, you know, getting a little better shape and more energy and all that good stuff this summer. And, and then uh, last Saturday night, I'm not off for a second And without angels and airbags, six of us would be dead. Hours in the gym, healthy eating, all the water, all the doctor's appointments. It means nothing if it's your time to go. 
So God uses near-death experiences to teach us that we're not invincible and that our life is a vapor. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. When you're young, and I don't know how you define young. I mean, it depends on how old you are, if you think you're young or not. But when you're young, uh, you feel like you're going to live forever, don't you? A lot of you are nodding your heads. And then you, you, you blink and you're 30. You blink and you got a bald spot. Do you, man, do you remember that climactic moment in your life when you're in the restroom at the restaurant and they have all those mirrors and you have that one angle and you've never seen that spot before? It's quite traumatizing for men. I vividly remember the Rafferty's we were in <laughs> Clarksville, Tennessee when it struck me like, wow, nobody told me that was there. <laughs> so you blink and that happens and then you blink and you get the senior citizens discount at Shoney's. They still have those. I don't know, I think they shut them down or something. And then you blink and you're retired. And then you blink and you wake up at the judgment seat of God. And it really does happen just like that. Anyone in heaven now that we could talk to would say, don't blink. You will soon be with us. Every single person in this room has an appointment with death that cannot be rescheduled. On one hand, that is terrifying, but on the other hand, it should be incredibly comforting. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9, just as it is appointed for man to die once, so there's an appointment with death. If God is super involved in whether or not a bird falls to the ground and dies, don't you think he's involved in the significance of our life and death? God loves his children too much to care about us until it's time to die, and then he takes his hands off the wheel. Why death from a human perspective is premature, it happens in often terribly tragic ways that we don't understand in this life. We can take comfort to know that God's still there. We will die. It's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. History is a conveyor belt of corpses, says John Piper. Every time I preach at a funeral, I do really uncomfortable things because I just think that at a funeral, you've got a captive audience, and there are people who, for the first time at a funeral, will actually consider the mortality of their own life and the shortness of life. And so you have to really help people see the urgency of the moment. You don't want to waste a funeral. 
people to wrestle with that could be me next. Am I ready? And so what I do at every funeral is I ask everyone, and I do it too. I say, okay, let's pause and let's stare at the casket. And then I give 30 to 60 seconds of very awkward silence, and we're gazing at the casket. And then I remind us that someday soon, every one of us will find ourselves lying in a casket. If I said things like this every Sunday, none of you would ever come back to church here. And, and I wouldn't come back to church here. Either. It'd be a really morbid, just depressing way to live life. But on occasion, we need these sober reminders because we are so self-sufficient and prideful to think we can cheat death. And so sometimes when a sober reminder in a hundred years, that'll be in a century from now, every person in this room will be six feet under the ground. In 50 years, 70% of the people in this room will be dead. In 20 years, about a quarter of the people in this room will be dead. In 10 years, a handful of us in this room will be dead. In one year, a few of us in this room will be dead. Just puts it in perspective. Our days are numbered. They're written in a calendar in heaven that cannot be updated or revised. So we can and should make wise decisions and eat healthy and exercise and please wear your seatbelt and do not text and drive. And if at all possible, get a vehicle with airbags. Make Wise decisions. Go see your doctor. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Yes and yes and yes. But at the same time, all of the medicines and precautions in the world cannot postpone our appointment with death. We don't have to worry about forgetting to die. God will make sure we're on time for the meeting. Death is no respecter of persons. It comes for rich and poor and black and white and conservative and liberal and believer and non-believer and Catholic and Protestant. There is no cure for life. Nobody escapes alive. Young people, you're not going to live forever. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life while you still can because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. As my mom used to say, don't wish your life away. Parents, those of us with young kids, it can be exhausting. Changing diapers, temper tantrums, brushing teeth, homework, running around town to all the different events, and it's so easy to wish that part of their lives away, but we blink and they're gone, and then we would give anything to get those years back. So don't wish their lives away. Let them sleep in the bed. 
don't work too much overtime just to make an extra buck. Go home and spend time with your family. More money can buy you a nicer house and more vacation, but more money can't buy back the time. And when you get to the end of your life, none of those things matter anyway but family and Jesus. For all of us, in conclusion, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, so don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Who do you need to forgive before it's too late? Life is way too short to stay bitter. No one's ever been proud of their bitterness at the funeral. Bitterness is drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's whatever it is, it's time to move on and forgive. Who do you need to say I'm sorry to before it's too late? Who do you need to say I love you to before it's too late? Who do you need to say thank you to before it's too late? What broken relationship do you need to reconcile before it's too late? My first cousin died in a car accident when he was 17 years old. I'll never forget his older sister the night he died, sobbing. She was a college student. He was a high school student. She had been home that weekend that he died. And she said, I was home with my brother all weekend, and I never even said a word to him. And that's something that you'll live with the rest of your life. Your funeral is coming soon. My funeral is coming soon. And at your funeral, some preacher or somebody will stand up and talk about your life. How will you be remembered when you're gone? What will people say as they stand over your casket in the visitation line? Start today preparing the script for your funeral. Write your own eulogy with a love for God and a love for people. Stop living lukewarm, complacent, comfortable Christianity. Let's wake up to Christ. Some, I love this church. I wouldn't go anywhere else, but y'all, sometimes on Sunday morning, it feels like a funeral in here. Let's wake up to Christ. Share your faith. Go on a mission trip. Adopt or foster a child that needs a home. Make a radical financial investment in the kingdom of God. Serve the church. Spend more time in prayer begging for God's presence in your life. Discover your gifts and your talents and Use them with all of your passion for the glory of Christ while you still can because Jesus says, night is coming when no one can work. Your life is almost over. But most importantly, 
not only will each of us die, but after we die, we'll stand before the judgment seat of God. You don't have to believe in God, but you'll still stand before him. And on that day, there will be no more atheist. In Hebrews 9, it's appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. And then in Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus is not your homeboy, and God is not the man upstairs. He is sovereign Lord over the universe, and he is judge of the living and the dead. And so I ask you this morning, kids, teens, young adults, middle-aged adults, senior adults, your life is relatively close to being over. Are you ready to die? Because you are not ready to live until you're ready to die. But the good news is you don't have to be afraid to die. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came. And he hung on a cross for our sins. And he took the punishment and the judgment that we deserve. And then he was raised from the dead. And now anyone who will turn from our sins and believe in Jesus will be saved. When you die, you will stand before God and you will either stand before the smiling embrace of God or you will stand before the fury and judgment of God. And what makes the difference is what will you do with Christ? The way, the truth, and the life. Let's bow our heads. I'd like to ask our music team to come forward and our ministry team, if they would, to go to their places. I want to encourage you to take a few moments and contemplate this message. And just to ask God, where do you stand with him? And ask God this question, God, am I ready to die? Have an honest conversation with God. Am I ready to die? God, what business do I need to take care of while I still can? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to reconcile with? What do I need to do? Am I saved?
We don't always do this quite so pointedly, but I have a sense of urgency today. You know, everything happens for a reason, and it's quite likely that for some of you in this room, today may be the last opportunity you have to truly surrender your life to Jesus because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. And why, oh friend, would you put off until tomorrow what you can do today? Why would you presume upon the grace of God that he would give you 10 more seconds to breathe? The devil would whisper in your ear, you've got your whole life to get right with God and he's a foolish liar. You have no guarantee of next week. You may never hear a sermon again and your heart may starting tomorrow become so hardened you would never even consider Christ again. And yet in this moment, here you are and God has lovingly allowed you to be here you didn't die in that car wreck. You didn't die in that overdose. You didn't die from that heart attack. You're here. And today is the day of salvation, and you know who you are. God loves you or you wouldn't be here. God is throwing you this lifeline saying, I've never given up on you. I've watched you wonder. I've watched you rebel. I've watched you sin. I've watched you tell lies. I've watched you cheat on your wife. And I've never stopped loving you. But today is the day you stop running and you surrender. Be born again. If you think that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and give a speech. But I would love to pray for you and do everything I can and we can do to help you know Christ. Heaven and hell are way too real to not be sure. Don't gamble with your life. Please take God seriously. Young people, pay attention. What is your life? You are a mist that appears and then you're gone. If today you think God is calling you to surrender to him once and for all, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand up so I can see you and pray for you? See multiple hands. God bless you. See your hand. I'm going to pray for you. And what I want to encourage you to do now 
while this is, while God is working on your heart, is we have ministry team members in front of you. You're going to see people standing down here at the front, and you're going to see folks standing at the back by the exit doors as well. You can slide out of your seat and go speak with them. Starting now and all through the rest of the service, and they can take you out to a private place. You don't have to be out in front of everybody, and they can talk with you. I'll be standing here front and center I'd love to speak with you. Just come on down and take me by the hand. If you're like, hey, I'm not going to do that. Well, there should be a card in the seat in front of you. Take that card out. Write your name on it. Give us your number and say, just have a pastor call me. That's all you got to write. We'll call you first thing in the morning or maybe this afternoon. Father, in Jesus' name, whatever I've said today that was from the flesh or unhelpful or not from you, just help us to forget about it. Lord, I don't doubt that I have the capacity to say stupid things sometimes, things that aren't helpful. But Lord, anything that was said today that was from your heart, drive it deep into our soul and may we not forget it and may it change us forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.